Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Natalie Moore and Lisa Saunders are the ultimate work wives team. They have a keen interest in workplace well-being and in their own words, they decided to team up because two brains are better than one and they went into business together to improve workplace well-being. Through their company Own Your Health Collective, Natalie and Lisa help women achieve holistic health and well-being for work and life. They also offer corporate health and well-being training in the workplace, and you can learn more about them by following the links provided in the episode show notes or the description below if you're watching on YouTube. In this episode, we start by discussing the importance of setting goals and the importance of working together as a team, what your strengths mean and how you can blend strengths with your teammates to maximize your opportunities the big burnout. After two years of the pandemic, it's catching up with all of us. It's so interesting because we're kind of at the end of the pandemic, moving into an endemic mode. But so much of my time is spent helping clients cope with the funk <laughs> that they're feeling and the lack of energy. And it's not surprising to me. I think it's very common, but it's not very well understood. So we talk a little bit about that. And then we move into talking about company uh, well-being, you know, the, the programs that companies are offering to not only keep their employees, but to attract employees. 2022 is the year of people changing and moving around and companies are really mindful of that. And we talk about the importance of building good habits. The second half of our conversation in this episode is all about menopause at work. And this is a great, great conversation for not only women of all ages, but men Men that have women in their lives, wives, daughters, co-workers, team members, menopause symptoms or hormonal imbalances can really negatively affect women in the workplace, their career prospects, their ability to advance. And companies are really mindful of that more and more. There's much more grounds to cover, but with the help of organizations like On Your Health Collective from Natalie and Lisa, we are getting the message through of how important it is to prepare uh, for women's hormonal imbalances at work. And in the end, I also give my three reasons to love perimenopause. I have been going through perimenopause for a few years now, and I kind of have a silver lining there. So if you stick around, you can hear what I have to say about that. So Listen to this episode and I'll touch base with you at the end of it again. Oh. I guess the first thing I'd love to know from you is tell me about your careers and how come you two ended up together. I can sense a, what's that term that Annabelle Crabb uses, the work wives, a work wife story coming up. <laughs> have you read that book? It's a lovely book. I'll put the I link in the episode show list. notes. I have to read it. It's on my list because I love oh, what she okay. does. 
Uh, and I have too. to say, actually, I have a seven and a half year old, and every time my phone rings, she says to me, "Is that Lisa?" <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the whole family, uh, both our families, have gotten used to us. Yes, being working wives, definitely. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, look, our career, we have both been through a, a pretty big career change over the years, and I won't take Lisa's thunder, but for me, I fell into packaging, manufacturing, actually, and uh, in sales more specifically. But uh, I had about 10 years in in sales roles, working with major corporates, supporting them around their projects and packaging. And, you know, after I had my daughter, I realised it just wasn't for me. It just wasn't fitting my values or the way that I wanted to live or work And so I thought, you know what, I actually had a moment in the bathroom at my work and I said, please, dear God, give me a sign that there's something really special out there for me. And I had a bit of an epiphany. I'm a very keen, crazy runner, actually. And I thought, you know what, how do I bring my passion of running into a business that just lights me up? And that was sort of the beginning where I come up with this idea to create a subscription box for runners because I loved motivating people to run and talk about running. And so I was boxing up all these health foods, sports nutrition. And then I'm then that morphed into goal setting workshops because everyone was saying to me, how are you working? Because I was still working four days, having a baby, running marathons, doing this little side business. And I thought, how are you not? So, you know, I went through this process of then running goal setting workshops and to, I guess, really cut a long story short, I then went and studied health and wellness coaching. I've also then done yoga and meditation teacher training. And, you know, that's, I guess, how Lisa and I ended up together because we found a synergy within our work and we had complementary passions, me around wellness and mindset, Lisa around nutrition and food coaching. And, you know, we just, we decided that, you know, two heads are better than one head and uh, we we came together and, and created Own Your Health Collective. But it's been a journey that we've both been on in, I guess, changing our careers and, really finding that thing that lights us up and, you know, makes us feel good, you know, inside and out. What about you, Lisa? Career change as well. I started off my career in the property valuations and management area, actually, and I would say I was good at it and I did it for quite a while, but I never really loved it. And I always was interested in nutrition. I always tell the story about how I used to drag my mum into health food shops. And so that's when it was like a toy shop for me. So I always had that keen interest in nutrition and food, European Maltese background. So food is always featured very heavily in the way I grew up. A few things happened. I had my kids and the culture that I went back to at work was just different. It didn't align with mine anymore or my values. And I wanted to be, I had my children a little bit later in life. So I wanted to be more available for them. I had a breast cancer scare when I turned 40. So that really rocked my socks. And I started, unbeknownst to me, I started to enter into perimenopause in my early 40s and had some pretty full-on mood ranges, you know, ranges of moods and anxiety. And so I actually finished up in that area and did a diploma of food and health coaching and started my own business, met Nat through a mutual friend. She came home one day, she rang me, it was quite late, late, and I said, oh, is everything okay? She said, yes, I've just been somewhere and I met this girl called Natalie Moore. You need to talk to her. You guys are like so aligned. It's not fun. I'm going, okay. So I reached out to Nat and 
we met over a few times as a bit of a support to each other. We had our respective businesses then and um, we used to throw things at each other about, you know, what do you think, blah, blah, blah. And then we actually did an expo together in 2019, in March 2019, and that was hugely successful. And we thought, you know what, we should just take this further. And that's how Only Health Collective was born. Oh, that's such a great story. I love a couple of things that you've said, both of you. First of all, goal setting. It's so important. It's so embedded in the coaching that I do. And and personally, I have goal setting to thank for as a theory that I was introduced very early on in my life that has really helped me personally. So I, I love that. And I find that it's very common for sports people and people that enjoy athletics, which is not my case. <laughs> so for me, I had to kind of create goals for me that were about my life and my values and where I want wanted to live and how I wanted to progress with my career and whatnot. But if you come from that athletics background, it's such more easily understood and such a great transferable skill. So if you're listening and like Natalie, you've been running or achieving goals outside of your career, you know, consider transferring that to career goals because that works too. And the other thing I loved about your story is this idea of joining forces. When I came out of the corporate sector to start my own business, the first thing I did was to find people to collaborate with, first of all, because I didn't want to be lonely. And I feel like so many of us step out of the corporate sector to engage in work that we love as sole traders or under our own companies, but then we isolate ourselves. So the fact that you were humble enough and smart enough to <laughs> you know, work together and scale is fantastic. So good on you. Do you want to sort of comment on those things? Because I really liked both of those aspects of your stories. Yeah, for me, the goal setting has been a huge part of my life. And I have to say, I only got into running when I was 25, so mid 20s. So I'm 40 now, so about 15 years. But it was, you know, that introduction to setting a huge marathon goal and then working towards that, you know, week by week. And I, yeah, I've definitely been able to translate that experience with my running into business and into life as well. So yeah, it, yeah, big part of my life. And I, I can't ever talk enough about actually having goals and, and working towards mm -hmm. those goals. And, and I think the, the beauty of what you say around going into your own business and having someone else to be able to share, do that with is really, you know, we're very lucky because we both bring to the business different skills. So Nat's got a great sales background. I'm happy to get into the detail and do the financials and all that, you know, so we're really complimentary about what we bring in. So, and it's much easier doing it with two than one. And, and it's not lonely too. You can bounce things off each other all the time and I'll be working in one room and I'll go, nah, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like it's just things come to you. It's really, it's great. You know, we'll probably interrupt each other a bit with our work, but it works. Yeah. That partnership is great. I have a couple of people that work for me as contractors and I don't have a big team anymore, but they are great. And I keep asking them, please tell me when I'm wrong. Please give me feedback. Yeah. Don't just do what I say. Can yeah. you please tell me if this is the right way to go? And sometimes when you are higher contractors, they want to please you. So they want to just do whatever you ask them to do 
when I actually want the, the constructive feedback and I want to tap into their expertise. So I'm always asking them for, for that. So well done. What do you think the strengths that you bring? I mean, Lisa, you've tapped on that before that you have complementary skills and they blended together, uh, make you a great team. But if you think about your individual strengths that you have used in your career and the, that you're still working on right now, what are they? Mm. Yeah, look, for mm. me, I think it's that honesty is a huge one for me. And I'm very big on on strengths and the character strengths and, and honesty always comes up as my top character strength. But being not just honest, but being true to you, you know, that's, that's really put me in good stead um, over the years. And I can, you know, really reflect and look at times where I wasn't honest with myself or living in alignment to myself. So, you know, being honest with myself in terms of how I want to show up, the work that I want to do, the interactions that I want to have, living by your values, I think is really important. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> And just, you know, just remembering that we're human, I think, Mm. and I've really come to appreciate that over the years and working in the line of work that we have. But building relationships authentically, you know, mindfully being in someone's presence and, um, you know, they're definitely skills that we've built and still continue to nurture today and and Mm. do that with working with our clients too. Yeah, and and I would say too empathy as well and, and having that empathy to listen to others and understand where they're coming from. And I think for me those things started to really sound out quite loud to me around the time that I changed careers because that empathy wasn't there when I went back to where I was. The culture definitely wasn't a fit. I was, you know, crying out for, for, for help at that point in my career and there just was nothing. I, I got nothing. I got no help. So, and you've got to be true to yourself. Well, this isn't aligning with me and I need to move on from it. So, and we've taken that into our work life now and what we're doing. I love that because sometimes people do the via character strengths and I use them in my coaching as well, by the way, and they look at the results of the top five, let's say, and think about it as it uh, relates to them, but not how they relate to the world. Mm. And it's important to understand it, as you said, Lisa, if empathy is not all around you, it will make you so unhappy. Whereas mm. for someone else that has empathy down, you know, as number 16, they can work in a more sort of political, aggressive environment and not feel as unhappy as you felt. And yeah. for me, Natalie, you mentioned your top one was honesty. I find it really interesting when I do the character strengths test with my clients and they're surprised by what comes at the top. And especially because I work with senior executives, they're like, where's leadership? Leadership is not at the top. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, my number one or number two, depending on when I do the test, is appreciation of art and beauty. And that mm. serves me never, like I always felt like, what the hell? Like I am an executive. <laughs> Why are you just only, showing up? You only have to look at your back wall, wall to see what exactly. you're I'm looking at it and, I, and that just makes me happy. I think it's fabulous. <laughs> so a lot of my clients feel like that, whatever comes at the top, we have the tendency to look at the bottom of that, resu- the, what spits out of that result. I remember feeling like, like that as well. I'm like, what the hell? You know, appreciation of art and beauty. What the hell is that? But also feeling a sense of relief. You know, mm. I felt, aren't you relieved that this is the reason why you're so pedantic about things on the wall and the colors of your couch or if somebody buys linen that you don't like, like if your poor husband went out and bought linen and you hated it, that's the reason why it means so much to you and it doesn't mean so much to him. That's what I tell people. Like 
if you get results from any type of assessment, really reflect on it and... Mm. Yeah, sort of understand it from the point of view of how you relate to the world, even if it doesn't serve you professionally. Guess what? Eventually it will, because this really helps my clients. You know, usually, I mean, if you're not watching this on YouTube, you may not see what's behind me, but just look at any photos of mine on Instagram, you will see my background. People come to me and they're so upset and sad and lost their jobs or hate their jobs and just coming into my Zoom office and seeing this, I hope brings them a little bit of joy so yeah beautiful after 40 years I found a way for for my top strength to serve me somehow (laughs) no I think it's beautiful and it's and it's I guess embracing this learning that we have with curiosity as well isn't it like it's not being you know closed off to possibilities it's looking at honesty and saying well yes I am honest but hang on what does that actually look like in terms of how I show up how people see me how I interact with the world with nature yeah it's it's very powerful when you deep dive and 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 continue to evolve and learn you know we we always say to clients we're forever a work in progress when Mm. we obviously epitomize health and you know positive well-being but we are human as well and you know we will fall off the wagon and it, it is we're forever a work in progress and having that open curious mind is really powerful and, and do you know what I like too is that the conversation you were just talking about with the values too Renata it brings out things that maybe were there that you haven't really delved into you know you were talking about the art and it's like they've always been there but they bring it to the forefront and it's actually a real there's a real peacefulness in being able to say you know what I've actually always felt like that but I've never known how to bring it out or if it was you know that inner critic you know I'll just smash it down that can't possibly be what you know what my value is and yeah. it actually can really relate bring quite a sense of relief to some people can't it oh yes for me it gave me a lot of relief because I come from a country with deep political and social economic problems and to have such shallow interests like fashion and interior design <laughs> to mm-hmm. me personally I don't think people were judging me but I felt bad about it yeah. all my life I felt bad yeah. I should be worried about something else and I overcompensated by being a student activist, by being very involved in politics at a young age, because I was overcompensating because my heart was in what I thought was frivolous pursuits. (laughs) And, you know, and, and I... And I'm like, this is built in my DNA. There's really nothing I can do about it. You know, it's my character strength. I can help the world in some way, you know, even if it's helping my friends decorate their houses, which is what I often <laughs> tend to do. <laughs> um, but look, I want to go into the topic of well-being. And I had the intention of starting straight into menopause. But I think maybe we can start a bit sort of progressively towards talking about menopause, because this week has been so such an interesting week for me. I've just come out of a session where we were discussing burnout, like really not just I'm burnt out this week. Like I have been burnt out for two years and Mm -hmm. I cannot cope. There are people that are feeling deep in their guts and their brains, the consequence of excessive amount of working hours, working from home and coping with everything that comes from being in lockdown, kids and all of that. And even Mm -hmm. though we're coming out of it in most countries, this podcast is listened all around the world. So I'm not sure, you know, if you're listening, if you're still in lockdown, you're coming in or you're coming out or whatever. But even in Australia, when we have been in more of a new normal life, it's catching up with us now. 
You know, when you're, I don't know uh, if you've studied this in psychology, when people are, sur- they have that survivor syndrome, like you've survived and then you breathe and then you realize that your body just needs to break down and, and uh, reset and, you know, the lying flat terminology that we're using today for the people that came out of employment, for example, and just are not feeling strong enough to go back in again. There are a lot of young people that are going through that. A lot of people my age and maybe your age too in their 50s that are going through that as well. So tell me about your journey in this space, working with individuals and organizations in trying to maintain well-being at work. I'm really curious to know what sort of work you guys are doing. I'm going to let you answer this one because I know um, Nat's been working specifically with quite a few people and you go, Nat. Yeah. And it's funny, Renata, as you were talking, yep. you know, I just took a deep breath in <laughs> because I think there is, there's a lot happening and I really feel, and we both feel mm. that, you know, the last two years is really compounded into this moment right now and, you know, we've sort of gone from naught to a 1,000 overnight but yet we're still dealing with the baggage of the last two years as well. And, you know, there's there's a lot there to process and a lot to sort of, yeah, I guess, look at what, what we're really feeling. So, you know, for us, we very much talk about well-being from a whole health perspective. So we created our own framework, which, you know, isn't isn't new if people looked at it, but it is based on a lot of positive psychology tools out there. And we really want to hone in around, you know, the self. So coming back to who you are, who, who each individual person is, their biology, their physiology, and then looking at the pillars around that person. So your physical, your mental, your emotional, and your spiritual health. And, you know, they're not new terms individually, of course not, but we very rarely bring that emphasis um, together as, you know, one sort of entity that we, you know, should look at because what happens in our physical health impacts our spiritual health. That impacts our emotional health, our relationships, that then impacts our mental health as well. So when we're working with workplaces um, and individuals, we basically show them our framework and it's, you know, it's the circle in the middle, the self in the middle, and then the four outer circles all joining together and all made up of different elements. And we encourage people to look at that that framework and pick one and say, which one is it that perhaps you're not nurturing as much as you want to be right now? And then let's drill down and say, okay, well, what does that look like? What do you want? And let's pick physical, for example, because that's probably the one people relate to most. Which part of your physical health are you not nurturing? Is it the food? Is it the sleep? Is it the movement? Okay, well, let's break that down further then. What do you want that to look like? And what we see in educating people around the different pillars and choosing one in particular is that we naturally see a flow and effect into other areas. Because when we're thriving physically and we feel well, or even getting a good night's sleep, prime example, you know, we are then more aware of, okay, am I am I living life to my values? You know, am I nurturing relationships as I want to be? Am I using my brain and nurturing my mental health as much as I really want to be as well? So that's a big part for us is very much around coming back to the whole person and looking at it as a as a whole health message. And then really importantly as well is really, you know, defining what health and wellness looks like 
like for you? And that's why we always bring it back to the individual. What do you want your health to look like? What do you want to feel like? How do you want to show up to people around you? When you go to work, how do you want to feel? How do you want to show up? And then, you know, from there, we then give you strategies around that. And, you know, through mindfulness, through movement, through food, through emotional intelligence, um, you know, but it's it's very individual and really, you know, we encourage people to come back to themselves. What is it that you want? And then let's look at, okay, what do you need from there and how can we support you through that? That's the dream, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I wish everybody had education to reach out to you and to, you know, tools and resources out there. I find that sometimes people get caught up in the rat race and they don't they have the time in brackets quote-unquote to to go and and introduce themselves to to this very sometimes effective rituals that you do every day and and i can see that you are also working with corporates because if you are going top down you know if you have the organization advocating for wellness that is such a powerful way of introducing it to professionals because then it's embedded in the culture it's embedded in the organization the organization is telling you to take a break to to do things like my my son um did an internship in the US when he was at uni and he said oh mom it's really funny if i if i stay at my desk for too long somebody will come and massage me or tell me to get up and go to the <laughs> such an american thing like in in, i mean if you're listening and you knew from the u.s i mean it with you know the best intention but in australia we don't i mean i don't i don't think i've never seen anything like that yeah so i guess i i'm glad that he was introduced to this at an early age hopefully it, it stays with him but have you been successful at working with organizations so that they can introduce this to their teams yeah interesting question and um you know i think over the last two years that's really highlighted a gap as well in real tangible health and wellbeing strategies Mm. within workplaces when we joined forces health you know the first thing we said is we don't want to be a tick and a flick or a nice to have we want to actually be there embedding health and well-being into the culture again coming back to that humanness we're all humans health well-being is part of us in our working life and in our personal life um so we've we've had a little bit of success in terms of you know running some longer programs and you know introducing you know key terms, you know, changing the language, getting people to look, you know, beyond just, you know, a a one-off workshop, you know, because that's great in the moment, but how do we actually turn this into sustainable health and wellbeing culture you know, creating that safe, yeah, real um, safe and change environment. So, um, yeah, you know, there's a long way to go. And, you know, I think if there's a silver lining from the last two years is that, you know, there's been renewed focus around how important it is to support employees, but there's still a long way to go in terms of really making this part of um, life and work and and cultures. And, And it's that mindset because Nat mentioned that tick and flick and it's the mindset of actually doing a longer program through the corporate workplace that we're probably finding the most resistance around at the moment. Yeah. You know, everyone, we, we, live, we live in a society where we want it quickly. You know, I, we talk to people one-on-one. We do a lot of work with women, as you know, and the coaching that we do is not quickly. 
It's 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 just small and manageable. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to that habit that you have around how you conduct your day. And it's those changes in habits, whether they be big things or little things, which is where we see the success happening. So whether it's an individual basis or in the workplace, we need to, that's the change that we need to instill, that it's not all quick. We just want something so quickly. Oh, it's not coming up or it's not doing what you said. It's just like, be patient. And that's probably one of the biggest things that we find is really sabotaging people's or corporate's mindset around what we do. That's such a good point. I'll share with you how I coach clients and maybe this might be something you want to reflect on because the first module we do is long-term scenario planning and really identifying with as much detail as you can how your future is going to be 20 years from now. And not mm-hmm. just by imagining it, but writing it down, like, what's my day like? What time do I wake up? What do I do that day? You know, I have a speech that I need to write. And there's a whole bunch of exercises that we do in this first module so that people, it's part of that goal setting thing that we mentioned before, but it's just cementing and crystallizing your preferred future. And that is such a, a an empowering when you're working with that immediate needs that you have, because if you're moving towards this future 20 years from now, it's something happens that kind of mocks up your plans for the next week. It's not as important anymore. All of a sudden you have this great future ahead of you. You have, uh, you know, a vision board that, you know, I have two in front of me. I have a long-term vision board and a short-term vision board, and that keeps you grounded. So if you lose your job, if the pandemic happens, if somebody gets sick, it's okay. It's just something that you might have to incorporate as your another stepping stone towards that preferred future. And I wonder if this is something that organizations and individuals can also do in terms of the work you do in the well-being space. In terms of well-being for women, what have you, I mean, like you, Lisa, I also started perimenopause at the age of 41 for me. And Did you know I, then that it was perimenopause? I Renata? did. I did yeah. straight away because it yeah. was very clear. The signs were clear. And my mom and my grandmother, both of them, also same age 41 so it was like you know tick 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 yeah. it happened to the me. genetics is playing out for you nicely there yeah it's really funny and I have a sister she's younger than me and she has MS and she was we were on the phone a few years ago and she's like oh I'm having all these issues I think my MS is getting worse and it's funny when people it's not funny that she has MS at all but it's interesting when people have a, a chronic disease and then go into menopause or get catch a cold whatever it may be they don't really know what's, you know, the chronic disease and what's just something else. And I'm like, darling, this is called menopause. You know, it's really not a mess. I'm pretty sure I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you if you're waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning, you're having hot flushes, guess what? It's not a mess. (laughs) So we had that conversation and and it started early for her as well, I, I suppose. But that is a terrible thing for women in the workforce, isn't it? As soon as we give birth and the kids get it, you know, older and get into high schools or whatever, gosh, we have something else to deal with. Mm -hmm. And it's so annoying at a time when you're about to feel free and have more time to yourself. All of a sudden, you're getting palpitations, you're not feeling 100%, your your brain is foggy, like I really felt it. And my 
rational being was trying to manage it, whilst my reptile brain was just not coping with it. And I think for the past decade, I found it really hard to sort of keep up with work. And I think opting to have my own career and setting my own time was a consequence of basically too much menopausal symptoms. If I look back, I kind of, I'm not blaming it. I think it's actually a blessing that I have my own business. But gosh, it's much easier to manage my symptoms now that I work for myself. So I, I, what have you researched and what do you understand are the issues that women face when they reach that age where hormonal imbalances can affect their careers? So some of the issues, I suppose, even just talking about the symptoms, of the, the biggest one is what you just you know alluded to, the hot flashes, you know, that sleeping and how that Im- impacts them so heavily. You know, we all know that if we haven't had a great night's sleep for one night, how that can really mess us up. And unfortunately, so many women experience this night after night and then, you know, they're trying to do their work the next day and um, finding it really hard to concentrate. Their energy levels are terrible. And then there's all the silent stuff like, you know, the heart palpitations, the the sleep de- deprivation, all of those type of things really um, affect the, the female. And, and it, it actually has a big effect on the company as a whole, doesn't it? Because, you know, you've got these really well-educated or, you know, experienced women that are going into the next level of their working life and bang, it really hits them. And and look, from my perspective, I um, I mentioned before the anxiety. Definitely a drop in confidence really uh, does come about with a lot of women. And whereas they've been confident to do things in the workplace previously, they start second-guessing themselves. And, and I remember thinking back in my early 40s that I started doing that. And I'm, and I'm thinking now, why, why am I second-guessing myself about something? I, I didn't know, you know, really, really know I'm about to turn 52. So in my early 40s, I didn't really realise that's what I was going through. And it's only through a change of career and and research and and study that now I'm obviously very aware of it. But that confidence is a real biggie. And and that's why some women actually end up leaving the workforce and they don't have that support. And, And women in the workforce, they're not really looking for a solution from their workplace from a perimenopause and a menopause perspective. They're looking for support for all all of these symptoms that they can be, you know, they can be feeling. So it's a real biggie actually in the workplace and, and why women are leaving. And look, you know, there's they, they do talk about, there are stats out there saying, you know, there's more women than ever doing having their own businesses now. It'd be awesome to see more research behind why they're starting their own businesses. Is it because they just want to do that and that's just their next calling? Or like yourself that, you know, you're having these symptoms, it's forcing you almost to actually be able to manage them better to be able to do your own thing, which then leads to other issues too because it can be a lot, you know, you and I know it can be a lonely existence where you're not having that interaction with other people, you're not learning from other people and then you you don't really feel like going out and networking because you feel so miserable and horrible at the time too. So there's so much lead, you know, leads on from, from how you're feeling. Yeah. And, you know, from my experience um, with clients that are going through perimenopause, I find that the lack of confidence then leads them to accept jobs at a lower pay rate. It leads them to not advance in their career and fulfill their dreams and 
achieve the goals that they had set out for themselves years prior. And they feel that that lack of energy, you know, I don't feel like I have it in me anymore. Uh, there's this lack of energy. And like you, Lisa, sometimes they don't see this as hormonal imbalances. They just think that they are just old at 43, at 44. And I'm like, it's like you can still be a CEO if you want to, you know, just, exactly you know, right. but yeah. I, th there is this feeling like, no, I'm too old for it now because there's, they're not sleeping. The brain is foggy. They, they don't have a, an energy that they used to in the past. And, you know, they are not managing that hormonal imbalance in any way, shape or form. And all of a sudden their career starts Uh, crumbling down. So what um, have you been able to achieve or ha have you learned in terms of best practices for organizations to support their female employees? Have you seen anything working in terms of addressing menopause at work? There's a few examples in Australia, but I think the UK is really leading the way in this area. And, um, you know, they're talking about an empowerment. They've recently introduced uh, menopause education in the school curriculum, which is something we desperately need to do here. You know, women and men need to be really aware of this life cycle that we go through. You know, years ago, women were probably living to their 50s, maybe 60s. We're living another third of our life in menopause. So it's really something that we need to be supporting in the workplace. And I suppose one of my biggest beefs is I see things, you know, on LinkedIn from people that are saying, oh, we're great. We're, we've got this parental leave. We've got all these different types of leave, but we have nothing that's being talked about in relation to menstrual leave, menstrual leave policies or menstrual policies, menopause policies. So yeah, that's, that's something that I would love to see more of um, as well. Nat, did you want to comment? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think there's a huge education piece here. Mm. And, you know, it starts really with the woman herself because we have countless conversations with clients and, you know, so many friends, family, they don't know what perimenopause is. My 72-year-old mother, when I said I was, you know, working in perimenopause, she said, what's that? You know, she, all she knew was menopause. She didn't know, you know, the umbrella term around perimenopause. And, and actually we've both had a conversation with friends in their 30s, 40s that, you know, we'll be on a walk, we talk about it, they go, oh, What's perimenopause? Mm. So, Can you, you know, explain for the listeners, like there will be people in the audience that don't know the difference? Sure. Can you so compare and contrast? Yeah, so the perimenopause is the, is the lead up into menopause. So it can be two years, five years, 10 years. It really depends on the individual. And then menopause, so, and you can have these host of symptoms that happen that, you know, we've been alluding to as well. So there's over 30 symptoms that a, a woman can experience. Some of them might experience one or two, some none, lucky them, and some quite a few. And then you move into menopause. And menopause is that um, that day that precedes or that, that occurs 12 months after your last period or menstruation. So basically a lot of women don't often don't realise or, you know, can't remember, but basically it's that 12-month mark anniversary. The symptoms that we talk about, may keep going 
they could subside. It really is very individual. So, you know, we're taught in the school curriculum around, you know, biology, around having a baby, how to get pregnant, um, having a period, menstruating, all that kind of stuff. But that seems to be where it stops. It doesn't talk about these other things that can happen or that will happen, you know, in a woman's life. And funnily enough, when we've presented to corporates around menopause in the workplace, it's astounding how many men that are in that discussion that say, I have just learned so much information. It's great because now I can... I can understand what my wife, my sister, my mother is going through. Um, So it's not just as powerful for women, it's powerful for men, for everyone in the workplace. And in fact, there was an article that I posted about in LinkedIn a few weeks ago around a company whose name escapes me in the UK that have put in a menopause policy and menopause training within their training at work. And they were saying just how wonderful it is, especially for their managers that have employees that are going through uh, menopause and perimenopause, just to be able to understand it and help them through it. A lot of managers won't actually put up their hand or approach others for fear of saying the wrong thing or not understanding it. But how powerful is it that if we can be training corporates in the corporate workplace around what it is, what you can do, the policies you can be putting into place, and the simple things that you can be doing. Because at the end of the day, a lot of this comes back to the lifestyle things that we do, Um, you know, those pillars that we talked about. And, yes, there's medical help that that women can be receiving, and we know you've had Fatima, Dr. Fatima Khan, on the podcast, and she's a very big believer in marrying the two, the lifestyle options as well as the medical options. And I think that if we sort of just look at the look at it simply, we can be doing so much in the workplace around supporting women so they can stay at work and they can move on to that CEO role that they've got their eye on or, or whatever what whatever it looks like to them. That was so a long answer what, to your question. Sorry. No, that was a great answer. And if there are men listening, bless you, you know, keep listening because I think uh, as you said, Lisa, if you're a leader of men and women and you know, uh, you are going to want to bring the best out in them and make sure that they are achieving and performing at the highest level as part of your team. It's really important to understand uh, what's going on behind in, in their lives. And, 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 you know, they may not be addressing it with you, but it can be something that you subtly start to acknowledge and, and understand and manage as well. What would be your best tips for women in the workplace that may have started feeling the symptoms or want to be prepared for what's ahead? How do you think that they should address it for themselves and for the work? Should they bring it up with their employers, for example? Should they just keep it to themselves? How do you usually, what are your usual recommendations for women in that situation? So there's a whole psychological safety piece there as well for workplaces that, you know, leaders, they need to create a safe environment for women to talk about it because, you know, we hear so many, you know, whispered conversations about menopause. So really that's an important piece. And again, it's coming back to yourself. It's about learning about your body and knowing what you're going through. So I'm 40, I'm not in perimenopause, but part of what we do and and part of my passion is, you know, educating women before they get to perimenopause. You know, my, my life up until a few years ago was all about, you know, worry about 
falling pregnant when I'm there or I worry about my, you know, menstrual periods, you know, when I have to. So it's about that education because the more we know about our body, the more that we can then, you know, feel and hear the subtle changes that are happening within us. And, you know, we are so busy, we are conditioned constantly in autopilot that we miss the little things happening in our body. So, you know, really coming back to ourselves, understanding our body, understanding our cycle first and foremost, mm. and, you know, really tuning into those changes. And then, you know, in a workplace context, really piggybacking off, you know, if there is, you know, someone that you could talk to in a safe environment about what you're experiencing, particularly if menopause isn't front of mind in the workplace or even Spoke, um, spoken about at all, finding that person that you could perhaps talk. Um, we hear a lot and something that we very much advocate too is creating that support network within the workplace. Women just want to know that, you know, there's a level of comfort that other women are going through it. And I think, you know, I liken it as well to being a business owner too, that you want to have comfort knowing that there's other people who are feeling, thinking, doing what you're doing and very much the same thing in a workplace context. If you haven't got that leader that you can comfortably talk to, where can you create, you know, a support network? that you guys can talk to each other or even if it's through messenger, you know, just being able to reach out and share what it is that you're experiencing. So really, you know, it's that education, it's that connection and, you know, really talking and, and trying to, I guess, openly share what you're experiencing. I have a story to tell. Sorry, I've done this throughout my life and then later I found out that this is a thing, but I don't know it's as, if it's as common as I would like it to be, which is Women in the corporate sector who have who work on a very tight calendar and has have all of their events and board meetings and everything booked a year ahead, uh, as you know, some of us used to have or still have. I used to merge my menstrual cycle into that. If I had the control over when events could happen, let's say board meetings, I was head of governance for a couple of years in one organization. I was a CEO of another one. If I was planning out my my board meetings ahead of time, guess what, ladies? I would try to avoid the times when I was grumpy. <laughs> we, we, As women, we go through uh, ebbs and flows with our energy levels that has a cyclical sort of monthly cycle, if we're lucky and we have more regular uh, menstrual cycles, which I was, you know, my, my, my cycles were very great. Right. They were easy to, to, to uh, lock down into my calendar. And I was once locking board meetings for an organization that I worked for. And my boss at the time said, yeah, well, can it be the next week? And he and I said, I preferred that it was in this yes. week, if that's OK with you. And he's like, do I want to know why? And I'm like, no, I don't think you want to know. I can tell you why if you want me to be specific. He was a guy who said, oh, all right, then, you know, like, you know, if you have the control, just take it. Don't take it for granted, because working in a, a high stressful, you know, high performance, stressful environment when you are not feeling 100 percent, which undoubtedly you will be you know, once or once a month, if you can take control over that, then use it. 
make sure that you use it, especially as you advance in your career, it gives you more and more opportunity to take control. And if you don't have control, then remember that you, that you don't have control and that that day or that couple of days, you need to pace yourself. When you said, I have a story, I thought, oh, she's going to talk about her cycle. Because <laughs> it's really funny because we actually do work in that area and we have a program called the Female Advantage. And what that does, it's a 28-day program that takes you through your cycle and the ebbs and flows that you talked about it, 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 it like we liken it to the seasons of the year so the each cycle has four seasons as how your energy might be how your movement might be how you know you would avoid some meetings at some time and you would power up and actually definitely you know have those meetings at another time the food that you might eat it's all and it, and if you can be so well connected to your body like you have just explained, Renata, leading into perimenopause where your cycle actually becomes a little bit irregular, but you can still sense about where you are and how your energy might be at that time. And then leading into menopause also, it's, a, it's such a wonderful thing to, to, be, um, to be doing and acknowledge and actually live by because it really does have its benefits. So I'm really happy to hear that's how you used to manage it. The good thing about working with other women is that the cycle synchronize. So then it's, uh, the, the calendar for that year serves everybody. <laughs> <laughs> how funny. Natalie and Lisa, is there anything else that we haven't touched today that you want to bring up? I'd love to, you know, sort of touch on anything that you really wanted to to talk about that I haven't asked you? Probably a key message for us, and especially in perimenopause, and it, it really feeds onto your from your story and also that female advantage work that we do. You know, perimenopause, menopause is another phase within our life. And, you know, we sort of feel that, you know, everything that's happened or led us to that moment really comes to the surface during perimenopause. And it's a great time to reflect and grow and, you know, set some new intentions for, say, the next 20, 30 years ahead of us. And so, you know, we, I guess, really want women to look at this phase with, you know, this perimenopause power. I'm coming into my power and I can define what this phase of life looks like, feels like, how I show up. And, you know, I've mentioned that a few times in our conversation, but, you know, menopause has been so synonymous with, you know, a gray, haggard old woman and, and it's, it's not, you know, and I guess talking to us, we're, we're at different spectrums, but, you know, my whole perception around what perimenopause is, is very different to what it would have been, you know, a few years ago. So it's, it's looking at, you know, this phase of life with a, a lens, an opportunity lens and, mm. you know, coming back into us that, you know, okay, yes, it's it's the death of one part of us, but it's the rebirth of, you know, the next phase and, you know, how do I come into my power during this? I, I like to call it finding your brilliance and we actually have a one-on-one coaching program that is it takes a deep, del- deep dive into perimenopause and menopause and it's all about finding your brilliance because we again we tend to concentrate on all that negativity but we want to flip that and have a look at okay yep there's some, not some great stuff happening but let's look at all the good stuff that can be happening and what does that look like to you individually. I'm going to list three things that I think are great for the phase that I'm in now. Beautiful. I 
was always cold all my life <laughs> and it's wonderful to feel warm. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> sometimes I yell, my husband is working next door. He has his office next to mine. And sometimes I yell, is it really hot or <laughs> is it just me? Like, you know, like I'm like, wow, look at this, like this warmth from within. After nine years of this, I'm a bit annoyed already. But at the beginning, I was so amazed about how hot I could be. And I had never been this hot before. The second thing is that I have lots of great white pants and I've just bought a white bikini. So I'm very happy. Like, yes, like nice. this wouldn't have happened two yes. decades ago, a decade ago. And third, if you are able to pace yourself, manage your energy levels, the things you can achieve at this age when your kids have grown up, when you are, you know, free of, you know, so many things, less mental load. Oh, my goodness. I feel so energized by it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, so the three positives for me. I'd love to hear from the listeners. If you're if you found this, send me an email or write me a note on social media and let me know if you have other positives to add to this great phase of our lives. I'd love to hear from you. And I'll share with you, Natalie and Lisa as well, when I hear back from, from the audience. Now, I'm going to add all of your contact details, profiles, website, LinkedIn, everything to the episode show notes. So everyone, if you're listening and you want to get in touch with Natalie and Lisa, just look at the episode show notes and the links will be there for you. Ladies, thank you so much for your time today. It's been oh, wonderful to get to know you a little bit more. I hope that we keep in touch. We'd love that. Definitely would love that. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Lisa and Natalie. It was a pleasure to talk to them. I had a great time. Please connect with them on social media. Check out their website. I will have a link to those below in the episode show notes or the description if you're watching on YouTube. If you have not linked with me on social media, why not? You know, sign up for my YouTube channel. I am on all social media platforms, I think. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. This podcast has a private Facebook group. Yeah, so all of that. The links are in the episode show notes, of course. And if you want to work with me, check out my website. It's also in the episode show notes. It's renatabernardi.com, R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com. And yeah, enough of self-promotion. I love having you here and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye for now. Bye.